Club Talk Radio. Hello, welcome to Law Librarian Conversations on Blog Talk Radio, the podcast about all things law library, legal bibliography, and the law library profession. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, okay. Well, we had the blues today. Um, time to wake up, everybody. Um, thanks very much for joining us, and thanks for joining us in the chat room. We have a, a pretty good-sized panel uh, to gather together to talk about some uh, interesting issues regarding the value and the future of academic law libraries. Um, I'm your host, Richard Leiter, and I'm coming to you from the mighty Schmid Law Library, the University of Nebraska in the heart of um, the country, the heart of the heartland. Um, in studio here with me, manning the chat room, uh, is Mandy Lee, reference librarian here at uh, University of Nebraska. And then some regular sort of co-host panelists of Roger Skalbeck from University of Richmond, Elizabeth Carroll Clifford from Florida State University. That's right, I should hello. give people a chance to say hello, shouldn't I? Sorry to rush <laughs> through. Um, and Ken Hurst from University of Cincinnati. Good day. Also our, uh, our whiz kid from uh, Jeopardy. And um, Greg Lambert from the the South part, Southern regions, and, and our fearless leader, right? Hello. Yeah. Jackson from well, Jackson. I'm, I'm the vice leader now. What's that? I'm just the vice leader now. Yeah. And, um, and then we have special guests, uh, Scott Pagel from George Washington University. Howdy. Still with us, yes. And Frank Kodak. Um, emeritus from Southern Illinois University. Hello, everybody. And Darren Fox from University of Oklahoma. Hi, everyone. And Teresa Miguel Stearns from Yale University. Did I get everybody? Good afternoon. Yes. Hi there. So everybody's present and accounted for. Um, Oh, and we've got other people calling in. We'll um, let's get started, and then I'll start answering the phone. Um, so, before we jump into the main event and our main topic, I just thought it'd be uh, fun to go uh, around and uh, sort of wrap up some of the news um, items that. Um, that are out there that might be of interest to um, our listeners, certainly interest to uh, law librarians. The thing that caught my eye is just, um, um, God, there was a press release. It's dated April 26th, but I didn't see anything about it till today that the GPO has started a new group, the Federal Publishing Council. Anybody hear about that? It's a new group that is going to um, be advising the GPO on publishing and printing trends. 
So um, does anybody here know anything about this? Greg, have you heard? No, that's new to me. That's what? Um, that one's new to me. Yeah. Huh. And nobody else has heard anything, huh? Nope. I think it's interesting. I Just reading between the lines, it... Um, uh, it could be very uh, useful. I'd love to know more about this because I think that the uh, GPO um, would be well served by hearing from, you know, its users on, you know, what we want and how we're using it. So sounds like a neat, an interesting trend. Um, I noticed Mandy just put in the chat room a link um, to the law librarian blog uh, post, which is where I heard about it. So encourage everybody to check up on that. Anything else that people have got? Darren, you mentioned. Yeah, sure. Um, I thought I'd just mention to everyone that, um, and I don't know if you had this on your, your last show, if it was before or just after um, the ABA Tech Show, and several of us on this call were, were there, but I wanted to just mention that we had our first ever academic track at the ABA Tech Show, and it was organized by Faye Jones and, and Michael Roback. And I don't know, Elizabeth, you can chime in because we were on a panel together um, talking about mm -hmm. it was, you know, the focus was sort of teaching technology skills um, to law students, um, although it wasn't just not quite that narrow, but um, that was a big part of it and how technology is changing the curriculum. And um, that's what Elizabeth and I spoke about, and Ken was there. And, and uh, huh. there were probably, I don't know, what would you say, 20 schools in attendance? Yeah, definitely. I mean, easily, I'd say of, of around 20 schools and uh, probably 40 or so academics total uh, representing all kinds of uh, people, everyone from full professors, adjuncts, librarians, tech staff. Um, it, was, it was a really great crowd. Mm -hmm. huh. And the, the the really nice thing about it is, whether it was you know you got to hear from different schools and how they're trying to approach this because libraries you know librarians are the ideal candidates to do this kind of technology training. We've been doing legal research training. We're we're kind of techy in what we do, and um, you know you don't always have the IT departments in law schools, especially in smaller schools with the time. Um, you know, and they maybe don't teach um, anything else, so you don't necessarily get a lot of technology training there. Um, but you saw a variety of folks doing, like Ken does, a, a, a seminar-type uh, practical course, and Ken can talk about that. But And then just a wide variety of how other schools are, are experimenting with it um, from, like, third-year required courses. I think at UNT they had a third-year required course. Um, every student had to take it. And then, um, anyway, it was just kind of interesting to see the different variety of what's being experimented with. Huh. So do you, is this going to be a regular feature at the ABA Tech Show? I don't know. Did anybody talk to uh, Faye and, and Michael? I, and I assume it I, I is. Think, but I think it will. Um, I, I think it will be. Um, it, it got, it, it was, it, Faye and, and Michael, um, Faye of Jones of Illinois and Michael Roback of UMKC, soon to be, St. Thomas, I believe, um, mm -hmm. are um, th they worked with the ABA 
uh, board, I forget what, what it is, sort of the tech show board uh, putting it together, and it got support and interest from, from the planning board, and it looks like it, because it, it got a good turnout, that it will be part of the ABA tech show going forward, and, and maybe even some more innovative ways to integrate it into the, into the regular programming. So um, for, for anyone interested, and obviously I I don't have any sort of <laughs> uh, in with the ABA or anything, but I, I really find it to be valuable, and I would encourage anyone that's sort of interested or sitting in the intersection of law schools and law practice technology to really seriously consider attending in the future. It's usually always in Chicago, usually March or April, um, so put it on your put it on your wish list for, for next year if you're interested. Huh. Interesting. It's and it doesn't um, um, compete with uh, Cali because well, it's, it's different, right? right? It's different from Cali because you get to see all of the all the law practice technology vendors. You know, everyone yeah. from all those vendors that are targeting the solo and small firms and the medium-sized firms. And there's yeah. just you should see the exhibit hall. It's I don't know how how many exhibitors would you say Elizabeth like two hundred maybe two hundred fifty oh, oh definitely wow. yeah and I think huh. I mean Cali's a great organization and I I the the people that do the the, the Cali organization the Cali mm-hmm. conference uh, as you know they're they're fantastic but I think it is a slightly different focus they they do cover yeah. some law practice tech topics but this since this is a conference geared primarily towards pra- practicing attorneys. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and the majority of the attendees are practicing attorneys. Um, you really get some on-the-ground, immediate information that, like, this is these are the issues they're dealing with. The, these are the problems they encounter. This is what you know the, the solutions they're trying. So I find it very valuable because I can immediately take that information back to my classes, back to my students, and go, hey, this is an issue, you know that attorneys are dealing with right now or they're, they're a new technology that a lot of them are integrating. And so I think that's where the value is. Hmm. Fascinating. Well, thanks. Yeah, definitely um, put that on my wish list. Um, <laughs> next, uh, somebody put in our show notes, um, ProView, and I, I put in, well, somebody did, coming August-ish, from Thomson Reuters? That sounds like a Roger comment. Somebody, what? Go ahead. Does oh, the Thomson Reuters know? thing? Oh, the, yeah. the ProView piece? Yeah. Yeah, so that um, is coming. It's actually out in the private market now. It's interesting what um, they're doing is um, some um, – Schools are getting on board with a package called the Practice Ready Package, and a piece yep. of that is standalone ebook equivalents um, for right. um, practice materials. And two features of that that are interesting one is the marketplace seems to be um, positioned by Thomson Reuters as trying to maybe, I think, pivot away from the big package, sell everybody on everything in Westlaw, towards, yeah. hey, look at the benefit of having a standalone thing. Um, and you know they're making it available and positioning it such that there are no additional costs for things like um, multi-user access if you were to assign it in a course or a clinic. Right. So, so talking point one is you know market pivot 
and then a talking point two is you're getting into um, you know offline access and uh, getting into sort of um, compartmentalized um, delivery of this content, which I think is yeah, really interesting. And this is Ken. It's part of the package we're looking at on that. Um, they are also in, in circling back to our discussion a moment ago about teaching technology. They're also offering academic access to Firm Central, which is their case management, their law firm case management system. Mm -hmm. Yeah, mm -hmm. and, and it's then great. It's, it's then very then easy to use. Yeah, and, and it has um, access um, past graduation for eighteen months or something. Right. Like that. Yeah, we're when we signed our LMA in the fall. Uh, this was part of the package, but um, I thought that it was going to come online immediately. We're getting trained uh, in about a month, late May, I believe it is. So, this is, hey, Rich, this is – go ahead, I'm sorry. Yeah, that August-ish um, um, was intriguing. Rich, this is Darren. I'll just tell you that we, we signed up for it last summer, and we've been training on it all year um, in our digital initiative program and there's a lot of useful tools in this package. Um, Firm Central is great, of course, you know, case management system that does billing and contacts and all that. But then there's also some really helpful tools that are just fantastic for librarians to train the students on and that's things like drafting essentials um, that lets them work with a brief or another document and do some do some tools on it. One of them is is blue booking or examining citations. Um, that's one piece of it. And then there's a doc and form builder element. And let's see what else. And the, there's Westlaw. And so all of this is part of the what used to be called Grad Elite. And so if you sign up for it, your graduates get 18 months of free access to these tools. These tools right. are included. And Westlaw. Um, and it's it's sixty hours a month um, for eighteen months. Oh, okay. Interesting. Yeah, well, that's going to be fun. I'm looking forward to it. The way they describe the ebook um, access um, sounds very intriguing. All right. And um, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Law Arts Archive. Archive. Yeah. So. Um, in response to um, some of the, um, the, I guess, market changes with SSRN, so SSRN is Social Science Research, Research Network, a lot of people know, um, uh, folks in the law community have um, started to model um, a platform and a structure used widely in the hard sciences. Um, and so there's um, uh, social sciences are starting to get into this area, and now Law Archive, as it's pronounced, L-A-W-A-R-X-I-V, is coming online, and it's going to be a law-specific open platform for distributing scholarship. And there's a um, handful of um, – it's central to um, – or it's, it's kind of run through uh, Cornell. So Femi Cadmus, that a lot of us know, is um, uh, working on a lot of that. Um, people from uh, Nelco and Lippa are on the board, as well as James um, Grimmelman. Um, and it's meant to launch, I think, um, sort of soft launch within the next week or two. Oh, okay. So it's pretty far along already now. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Very good. 
Um, so stay tuned on that. Yeah. Um, oh, and the reason I, for listeners, um, the reason it's hard at first when I looked at it to uh, pronounce it's spelled unlike uh, any way you would have guessed, L-A-W-A-R-X-I-V. Very creative way of spelling archive. Um I don't know. Does anybody want to say anything about, um, well, there was BNA's new platform rollout, which um, they, the way we heard about it was it was a very subtle, low-key announcement in December, and then all of a sudden, boom, we went to BNA and um, everything was different. Did everybody else have the same experience? It sort of caught us by surprise. But it's nothing more than a new look to the old uh, BNA platform. Um, but uh, Bloomberg uh, BNA really seemed to uh, be working really hard to make their product um, a real competitor to Lexus and Westlaw. I've been a big fan of BNAs for a long time. So that was good to see. Um does anybody want to say, or should we say anything about law school um, closings? I don't know, a little scandalous, but um, looks like uh, Whittier is on the way out and troubles in at Charlotte. No comments? Okay. Let's move on. I want to mention that there's, uh, let's see, there's five people that are have called in and are on hold. Um, I know many people call in and just, just so they can listen to the broadcast um, over the phone. Um, so you're more than welcome to, uh, to do that as long as you want. I can, we can take an unlimited number of callers, but if anybody is on the phone and would like to comment, um, like to pick it up, um, if you could log into the chat room and then just say, I'm calling, give me your area code so I can tell who you are. Um, you know, I'd like to make a comment or, um, um, you know, or something. Uh, go ahead and do that. Um, in the chat room, or you could even shoot me an email, and I think I'll, I'll see a, a notice um, for me to pick up, okay? Is that a deal for you people that are listening? I wish there was a way that you could just hit a, a button, you know, hit one when you want to raise your hand, but I can't find anything on, the, um, um, on my uh, switchboard. Uh, to do that, so. Um, hey, Rich, this is, this is great. Yes, yes. I, I did have one comment on the uh, on the law firm closings, and I I can't yeah. remember exactly where I saw the article, but there was uh, one of the bloggers um, put the blame squarely on the shoulder of the uh, baby boomer professors that are not retiring and and trying to <laughs> maintain a. Uh, uh, a level of uh, of wealth based 
on uh, on the backs of the uh, Gen or the uh, Millennials. Did anyone else read that? No, I missed that. Huh. Let me see, Let me see if I can dig it up and put it on the uh, um, on the chat. Interesting. I mean that that maybe a part of it, but. Um, or there may be an issue there, but I'm not sure that's why they're closing. I think that for the most part, it's um, a lot of these schools are are failing. You know, I think that there are just too many, and so there some of the schools that are in trouble um, have very low bar passage rates and um, um, you know very poor uh, performance, and that's what's I, I would place the blame on um, the ABA generally uh, crediting too many schools over the last 20 years, but um, that's probably the topic for another whole show. Well, Rich, this is Darren. I mean, the, the yeah. bottom line is that uh, the number of applicants have dropped so much. In 2004, we had 100,000 applicants to law schools nationwide. And right now we're sitting at about 57,000, and yep. we have not rebounded. Um, it was we basically fell off a cliff, and um, we've we've kind of flattened a bit. Uh, it looked like we were maybe turning a corner. You saw a lot a lot of blogs, uh, you know, hoping we were turning a quarter because we had a fraction of a percent, about one percent uptick in the previous year. But uh, you know, it's not really we're not seeing that so in this cycle. So it's um, there's not nearly as many people applying. And just remember that everybody taking the bar right now is shifted. They came into law school three years ago. So that was still that was 2013 uh, was the 2016 bar. So that was really only two or three years into the aftermath of the recession. And um, anyway, there's a lot of factors you could talk about cost and cost of law schools, but also cost of tuition and, um, you know, number of schools accredited and anything. Anyway. Yeah. 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 No, I, that's, um, an interesting, um, um, way of looking. I mean, it, it's really true. Um, I think enrollment all over the country just plummeted as people tried to keep their, um, statistics up and, um, uh, you know, and the quality of the people that they were admitting, uh, their the numbers have just really gone bad, gone south. It's a good segue into our uh, main topic of um, um, of uh, discussion. Why we're all here really this morning today. Um, to you know, and and actually maybe we can just. Um, you could take it up. One of the the big, um, you know, statistical things that law schools are looking at uh, generally is the uh, quality of the students that they uh, admit that's real important for um, U.S. news rankings. Darren, I know that you're um, deep into looking into that. Why don't we actually leave that for just a moment and focus on the library statistics um, part of the um, um, of, of what 
what our main topic is. And I'll just throw it open to, um, you know, Scott or, or Frank, who probably got the most experience among us here on the panel with the um, official library uh, statistics. Um, so, does it, Frank or Scott, do either of you want to pipe up and, and talk a little bit about either the history of library statistics? Why do we, why are we gathering them? And um, what's the status of uh, academic law library statistics these days? Um, well, Frank, you were on the uh, committee yeah. before I was. Do you want mm -hmm. to do the history and then I'll tell people what we're doing now? Okay, well, I don't want to, I, I don't think I'm qualified to go all the way back to the beginning, but I was a member of the ABA's, um, started out when I became, I started as a member, it was called the Questionnaire Committee. Its responsibility was to uh, oversight um, for the uh, annual and the site evaluation questionnaire. And then a couple of years into my, uh, the six years that I served, which was from 2010 to 2016, that changed its name to the data collection or uh, data policy and collection committee. Um, and over that time period, over the six years I was involved, um, I, it was clear that the purpose of those two questionnaires as well as ultimately the employment questionnaire was to give the um, ABA uh, sufficient information to make its decisions about accreditation. So um, it, for the many years that I was a law library director, there were lots and lots of questions as uh, Rich has uh, uh, suggested. Um, and many of those questions were about uh, a wide range of uh, aspects of the entire law school operation, including the library. Um, and I know when I was a law library director, and that's been some time now, we, we use that information uh, to kind of make a judgment about where we stood. Uh, did we need to improve this? Did we need to improve that? But, but honestly, at, at least for me, I did not spend a lot of time worrying about whether or not those numbers represented something vis-a-vis uh, -vis accreditation. Um, and during the six years that I was involved, um, the committee, um, the message that was delivered to the committee a number of times and was that we ought to be asking, we ought not to be asking questions that don't provide information that can be used to determine whether or not the accreditation standards are being satisfied by the particular institution. So during my six years, we um, uh, spent a lot of time um, reviewing the, the uh, entire questionnaire, and I want to emphasize that. It wasn't just the library portion. Um, I know that Rich has suggested uh, in his show notes that um, the library questions are there are, uh, fewer library questions and less information is provided, et cetera. Uh, and while that might be true, that's true in most of the other areas of the law school uh, mm -hmm. enterprise. Uh, so the message was we ought not to be asking questions um, 
that produce information that's not going to help the accreditation committee make a decision about whether or not the accreditation standards were being met. So at least uh, two times we went through the entire uh, um, AQ annual questionnaire, and um, I think, and this is one of the great things about being emeritus, your your memory gets hazy and you don't really care about it anymore, but um, <laughs> that your memory is hazy. Um, but uh, at least uh, a time and a half, if not two times, we went through the entire site evaluation questionnaire. And almost all of that was a combination of paring down. Um, and we didn't have a set number. We didn't say, you know, we only want 12 questions. We only want 10 questions. It wasn't like that. But it was ask, saying, does this question have anything to do with an existing standard? And if it does not, can we really justify continuing it, continuing to have it? And the other aspect of the um, of that work, um, frankly, was um, you know, well, even if it does have something to do with accreditation, uh, is the question um, uh, ambiguous or somehow not clear enough that we might end up with schools uh, trying to answer the same question but answering it in different ways because of how they interpret it? Um, so, so that was the bulk. wasn't all of the work that we did by any means. In fact, we created the, uh, the employment questionnaire from scratch, and we worked a lot of time on that one as well. But at least for our purposes here, I think we're mainly focused on the SEQ and the AQ. And and that's um, uh, when I left the committee, which was um, um, last. Um, June, June 2016, that was what, what we, what the work that I had been involved in. And I was, uh, not surprisingly, um, I typically a member of a subcommittee that uh, focused on the library portion of both of those questionnaires, as well as worked on other, um, other parts of the questionnaires as well. And uh, I'm just going to give a shout out to Scott. Scott wasn't on the committee, but uh, at least uh, one of those uh, periods of revision, we reached out to him and um, and gathered him up and put him on our subcommittee to work on the uh, on the annual questionnaire as well. So, um, and at, at this point, I'll stop. If anyone has questions, I'll be happy to try to answer them, but I know that Scott is still uh, involved, and there's been some uh, additional evolution. So it went from the questionnaire the data policy and collection committee, and now I think it's all part and parcel of a single committee, the uh, standards review committee. Is that correct, Scott? Yep, uh, we're doing it all now. Um, <laughs> well, I have one. Well, before I start, does anybody have questions for Frank? Yeah, I, let me um, let me. Add, I have one question, and I, I'm curious: how much was that work of Sort of trimming it down, the both questionnaires um, influenced by uh, what I see as sort of an increasing um, emphasis on assessment and self-assessment. Seems like we're kind of moving from an objective measure of library. I, I'm not sure whether performance is the right word, but well, libraries so me... to subjective. Okay, so the work of the committee in terms of of the um, designing uh, the questionnaire, uh, again, over the time I was involved, and I suspect it's 
uh, still true today. It was driven by the by the ABA standards and the committee that um, the data policy committee, the questionnaire committee, it doesn't didn't have any role. Uh, in the standards. Sometimes there was some frustration among the members of the committee saying, well, gee, I don't really agree with that standard, or that standard is ambiguous in and of itself, or this, that, or the other thing. But it really, the only thing that we would do at that point might be to make a a comment or, or an observation or a suggestion to the standards review committee to say, you know, is this Maybe this needs to be revised. But um, so to directly answer your question, the push toward um, assessment um, um, only occurred when that became a standard. So we didn't design questions or we didn't eliminate questions because it didn't have anything to do with assessment. Um, for, for at least the first couple of years that I was on the committee, that standard did not exist. And I right. think that uh, Scott can can um, tell you more about this probably, but, uh, you know, the drive toward um, uh, assessment is was, uh, to, at least to some extent, um, was driven by the Department of Education, uh, mm-hmm. which said that's what you, that's what, Um, uh, accreditation should be about. That's what uh, educational institutions should be about. They should assess what they're doing and then make changes um, if need be um, as a consequence of what they find out through those um, through that assessment uh, process. So um, uh, again, the the questionnaires itself, the, the, uh, the work on the questionnaires themselves always or, uh, was, um, for us, was driven by what the standard, standards call for, uh, the accreditation standards call for. Now, I will say this, um, the, especially the first time around when we were doing the, um, the uh, annual questionnaire, as, as anyone who's been in the academic law library world for a while knows, there were a lot of questions that weren't directly about uh, the standards, but provided information that at least at the time and uh, law library directors found to be very, very helpful to be yeah. able to say, well, that institution, these institutions which we think are comparable to us or that we're trying to uh, strive toward, um, they have this, th- these, this number of staff members. They have, uh, you know, all the variety of things. Right. That, that we would compare ourselves with, uh, and and um, so among the committee, the larger committee, when we were going through uh, not just the library portion but all the portions of the uh, questionnaires, deciding whether to keep it in, take it out, or modify it in some way. I mean, the first question was, well, does it meet the standards? And for a lot of the library questions, uh, there was not a standard that related to that, uh, not to the spe- specificity that that the questions were um, uh, specificity of information that the questions were asking for. Uh, nevertheless, I uh, argued, and for a while was uh, somewhat, was fairly successful, that yes, I understand, uh, but this is vital information for libraries, and they, it's not available anywhere else. There's no one else that's going to do it. 
if it comes out of the ABA survey, then it's not going to be uh, accessible. Not in the not in the way that the library uh, library library directors and and uh, libraries would prefer. And for a while, that kept some questions in. So if you were able, if you had the questionnaires, annual questionnaires for the last six or seven years, you could see that there's been a gradual reduction. It wasn't all everything at once. Um, and ultimately, that proved to be a, less of a convincing argument among the uh, uh, full committee. And that's the way we did the work. You know, there were subcommittees that reviewed particular portions of each questionnaire, um, would, would make recommendations, and the committee would sit around a table um, for long meetings, extremely long meetings, uh, for some of us who don't have that much patience, and um, you know would go over every single question word by word practically, um, and um, so that's kind of the way it ultimately played out. Um, and the other problem with that, with making that argument, hey, the libraries need this information, can't get it elsewhere, is that it didn't not really fly or come up very much for the other aspects of the uh, questionnaires. So no one else was making that argument. And after a while, they start looking at you and say, well, why are you guys making that argument? No one else is making it. Um, yeah. So I think that that kind of um, uh, eventually led us to where we were. Long answer to short question, sorry. All right. Well, yeah, so Scott, why don't you um, take it over? Um, okay. Um, where we're at. Yeah. Uh, Frank just opened up so many chapters in my mind in the history of this thing. I don't, I'm not quite sure where to begin. Um, well, okay. I, then, I, I've been taking notes, and I've got a long list, too. One thing that that I think is really interesting, and you may be – and I may be asking um, out of order too soon, but, you know, planning is definitely one of the reasons for uh, that the statistics helped us, you know, because it helped us as individuals know what other people were doing and our, our peers and so forth and where we stood. And it was good for, um, you know, in our budget meetings, you know, that you know, where we compared um, and I think that's good. And then it also served the the questionnaire served um, what Frank original you know his initial thing was that it was a way to gauge how libraries were doing um, you know with regards to the standards. But then there's also something that I think is is a fascinating aspect of it because the the statistics were also used and have been used by um, U.S. News and World Report as part of the ranking, so they got to be really important. And I've always wondered how uh, how much of what the work that you guys were doing on the committee was to eliminate the number of objective questions. In a way, it's getting, you know, um, undermining the whole ranking process. So well, let me yeah, out. let me answer a couple of those. Um, first, I think that there are. Um, a lot of people who would love to undermine the ranking process, but I don't think that the removal of library statistical questions really comes from that. Let me talk a little bit about where I think it does come from. Um, yeah. Back in 2009, when I was on the ABA Library Committee, when it used to be uh, such a committee, 
um, you know, we considered uh, should we continue counting volumes and titles. And uh, we concluded that it was impossible to do so. Jonathan Franklin at Washington, did, uh, University of Washington, did a wonderful, wonderful analysis of how impossible it is to get a, an accurate count in uh, the digital age. And yeah. so at that point, we advised stopping that, and that was taken up uh, and agreed to by the ABA. Um, just an aside, in terms of U.S. News, I don't know if anybody knows how U.S. News gets its volume title number, but they, you know, the ABA no longer asks for that, but U.S. News still does. They take the volumes reported and add it to the titles reported to get a number. Now, if anybody can tell me what is logical about that, um, you're better at statistics than I am. Um, and it's also very unfair because if a library yeah. is going very digital and another library is very heavy into paper, they get to count things twice. But anyway, right. that's an aside on U.S. News. Uh. Um, on the, um, the uh, Standards Review Committee, which has now taken on the um, what used to be done by the um, committee that Frank was on, um, I've been on the standards review committee. This is my fifth year, and um, this year it was merged with the um, committee that uh, is responsible for the questionnaire. And we started the um, year by looking at every question in the question annual questionnaire, not just the library part, and asking, does is this information required by either Standard 509, um, the Consumer Information Standard, or by uh, the SEQ when uh, law schools are um, uh, reaccredited, or by the intra-monitoring uh, device, uh, whereby each year the accreditation committee looks at um, the responses to the annual questionnaire and says, okay, it's not been seven years, but this school may need to respond as to why their LSATs have dropped tremendously. So we went through every question, and for none of the library questions, the numerical questions, were we able to say that those uh, fell into any of those three categories? Um, they are not required by the um, public information or by the SEQ, because the SEQ has gone very much from um, uh, quantitative to qualitative and um, not required by interim monitoring. So the, um, really the only part of um, part three of the annual questionnaire dealing with libraries that um, would have been relevant is the part dealing with staff where you report how many fall into various categories. And that is done also elsewhere in the questionnaire. Um, and so that's probably going to be moved over. And even there, the question is, well, you don't ask how many people in the career development office are, you know, in a certain racial group or gender. Um, and so why are you asking this for the library for ABA accreditation purposes? So basically, uh, looking at the entire annual questionnaire and saying, as Frank said, you know, they were starting to move towards this, 
and now they've completely moved towards this, what is the accreditation function in the questionnaire? And um, so it's not just the libraries, but um, a number of areas where the questions are going to come out of the annual questionnaire because they don't uh, deal with one of the standards. I see. Well, that's a very interesting perspective. I haven't heard that before, but if you look at it like that, that would explain a lot of the nature of the questionnaire itself. As the standards Rich, change, the questionnaires can change. Rich, this is Frank. I wonder if I could just jump in, uh, harking back to something you started to say a moment ago and also to your observation right now. And I, I think the point here is, is that the ABA, uh, and, and one could um, – uh, you know, you might be free to disagree with this, but I think that the ABA has decided that its job is um, to be the accreditor. Its job is not to assist um, the libraries in making, uh, in doing their planning or any other aspect of the law school. Its, its job is to ensure that the institutions which it accredits meet the standards that it is um, established for that accreditation. Um, so uh, the you know saying well you know um, yeah this might not be relevant for accreditation but this information would be really really helpful. There might be lots of sympathetic ears to that, but the the ABA has concluded, uh, and I think honestly, and Scott can either agree or disagree on this, but uh, I think that the pressures in the recent years from the Department of Education and, and yeah. the, the question about whether or not the ABA, you know, the pressure put on the ABA as to whether or not it would continue to be the accreditor has caused the ABA to um, to take this approach that, that that's our job is not to do all those other things. Our job is to be the accreditor. And I don't, I bet, I bet you've heard this a few times, Scott. I certainly did when I was on the committee over those years, which is, you know what, the accreditors for this kind of uh, school or that kind of school uh, or educational yes. institution outside law, they don't ask any of these questions. They don't ask any right. of this stuff. We, the ABA and, and law, had, you know, like a zillion times more stuff being asked of institutions than did um, other educational institutions by other accreditors. Uh, and so the ABA had to had to uh, was put on put on the defenses justify why you're asking all these questions yeah um the other one other thing uh, you know we're all we, we've been in this a long time and we're all very used to the aba doing this i was looking back at old statistics and didn't john thomas at byu actually used to be the one to compile them david thomas david david thomas, thomas. yeah um you know, there was – he compiled no, something. I, here's what I think David's role was. I, I hope this is correct. I hope I'm not totally missing it. Um, the, the statistics that were gathered by the ABA used to be published in Law Library Journal. And I think that um, he, his involvement was, was making that happen was massaging the stuff from the ABA into a form that could be published 
in right. Law Library Journal. Does that ring true with you, Rich? Yes, yes. God, I hadn't thought about that in forever. That's right. Listeners or anybody who's interested, you can go back and look at old Law Library journals. And there yeah. were, that's where this. this On an annual this, basis. Annual yeah. basis, right. That's right. But and, also, he published and distributed them. Yeah, you know, when I started on this benchmarking project, this is Teresa, uh, Blair yeah. actually gave me one of those journals, and I just stood up and pulled it off my bookshelf. It's May 1974, Volume yeah. 67, Number 2 of Law Library Journal. And there they are, uh, reprinted a lot, of the, a lot of the ABA statistics. And, wow, it... it what a, a plethora of information! What a, a wide oh, yeah. variety, wide-ranging yeah. questions back well, then. It, it's one of the things that library directors routinely complained about. You know, back when we when the long quest annual questionnaire, but it was sort of, you know, we just knew that September was statistics season, September October, and you just did it and. Um, you know, and then, you know, complained about it, complained about it, complained about it's, it. It's, it's and then as it disappeared, you... now I find myself pining because I don't have that information available. But this uh, is Scott again. Yes, this is Frank. Go ahead, Frank. Uh, I'll just say one, two sentences. Um, that complaining, that was brought up uh, in, again, over the six years I was on the committee a number of times where, where uh, usually it was, it was the deans that were on the committee. They would say, you know, we're asking these questions, and they're not really, they're not only don't relate to standards, but it's all this extra work that we're putting on people that are already overburdened. It particularly was uh, the case that that's an issue uh, with the employment questionnaire, which is very labor intensive to respond to all those questions. But, but I think people have that memory. Yes folks always did complain about it. It took a lot of time, and it didn't right. half the time it didn't seem relevant uh, to a particular institution. So some of, the, some of the changes that have been made in the questionnaires was also in response to that issue. Yeah. Um, this is Scott. Just uh, two things on the questions and, uh, you know, um, their use in terms of, of um, benchmarking against other institutions. Um, when I started out as a director, I loved them. I used them all the time. I used them yeah. uh, to try and make arguments to the two, my dean. Um, and his response was always, I don't care what others are doing. What do we need? <laughs> and, and in a way, that's what the ABA statistics now are. You can't compare. It's what do you need? The other thing is, after a while, I stopped looking at them seriously. When yeah. you have, When you have four... The last time I looked at them, there were four libraries who put over a million dollars in the other category. Now, um, I'm sorry, I don't trust statistics where that is the kind of information being shared. And right. I know, um, especially with U.S. News, the effort is let's push them up. And so, you know, um, I, I came not to trust them anymore. Right. No, I agree with you 100%. It's um, and it was partly when there was all that controversy um, over whether or not it was legitimate to uh, catalog every file that's available on Westlaw or um, uh, catalog all the fiche in your 
you know, double ALS, um, you know, uh, if you had the the microform version of the the book list, you know, then it just well, that got was the volume count. Yeah, yeah. Right. right. Well, it, that's part of the the um, the same Black thing. There were ways to sort yeah. of gain yeah. the system, and it really is hard now to figure out what. I mean, when on, on any of the questionnaires, the ARL one. You know, and if it asks how much you spend on cereals, how do you answer that? You know, what I know. Do you I know. know? Hey, Rich, this is Darren. If I, since you came back to uh, volume and title count, can I just throw in real quick that sure. just to make sure that the listeners know that um, in U.S. news, the volume and title count uh, part is is 0.75%, so three quarters of one percent of the overall methodology. So it's it is the smallest part. And then one, just one other sentence. The um, what you're seeing is if you look back, if you use U.S. News Academic Insights, which which I use quite a bit, um, just to kind of keep my dean informed of of where we are on each of the metrics, um, you can see that what's happening is as new directors come into the profession, many of us were kind of following the 2008 ABA instruction on how to count volumes and titles. Those of us who've been around a while. And we, because of the lack of instructions in the U.S. News um, survey about how to count volumes, so there's, there's not good instructions with it, people were kind of relying on the ABA instruction, which went away in 2008, I think. Correct me if I'm wrong, Scott. But what you've been seeing over the last 10 years is you will see a handful of schools every year with their volume and title count spike because they finally either maybe somebody new comes in or they just decide, we don't have an instruction, or you know, or they don't remember the ABA instruction, or they're just you know, um, using common sense and saying, "I only have the questions, so I'm going to count a bunch of electronic things." And you will see schools add in one year like 300,000 volumes, um, or 300,000 total count of their volume plus title count. So you'll just see this line go straight up and then kind of flatten out, and that's kind of what's happening in the U.S. News database with that particular piece of data. Okay. I wonder too with with that piece, if if part of it is you know year over year sort of uniformity of interpretation, and some of it may also just be informed by I'm going to buy you know the making of modern fill in the blank from you know a digitization publisher, and well hey look what I added 120,000 titles because that's the stuff that I bought and licensed. Right. Sure. Yeah. And my shelves are no different at the end of the day, you know. Right. But well, this is US a good news. Well, Go ahead. Who is that? No, no, I'll, I'll, I've already said it. Never mind. <laughs> well, I was going to um, say this might be a good segue. I'm curious, uh, Teresa, if you want to um, uh, tell us something about All Star. It seems like a logical follow-up to what we've just been talking about. My understanding of what All Star is doing is sort of um, – Picking up the the ball where the ABA is dropping questions, you're gathering statistics on additional information, or or right. tell me well, what it is. Sure. So so All Star actually started. Um, part of the impetus of All Star was because of all these complaints um, and and accuracies and variations that we're all talking about. It was an effort to start collecting meaningful data, data so that we're comparing apples to apples and oranges and oranges, because we can define however we want 
all of the data points uh, within All-Star. We can create categories. We can, um, instead of putting $100,000 in other, we can uh, create, you know, a one box. Here's where we'll put Espresso and Scholastica, right? Publication support. Um, so, so the whole the whole purpose of All-Star is twofold. One, to collect um, meaningful data to allow internal analysis by individual libraries um, and, and to collect data over time for trend analysis. And then secondly, um, to be able to collect data um, so that we can compare apples to apples with our peer institutions and learn best practices and implement those best practices uh, in our own libraries if we choose. So it's meant as uh, a collaborative tool, um, and it has been a collaborative tool. It started um, back in 2014 uh, with a, a handful of librarians um, from Cal Berkeley, Harvard, Cornell, uh, Yale, and Chicago, and together uh, on an Excel spreadsheet, we came up with um, some data points. And uh, at one point, we decided that even though we found some of them not too meaningful, but to make this a one-stop shopping for all the ABA, all the US News, and all the ARL data. So all those data points are in All-Star, um, but so are uh, literally thousands of other data points. Um, and it's not just to, correct, to, to collect numbers, but it's also to analyze how we're spending time. So there's questions around time spent uh, on various activities. Um, which of course calls for estimates. Um, it, it, you know, it doesn't have to be totally precise, but su uh, sufficient uh, good estimates in order to provide analysis. Um, so, so over the course of the last couple of years, this tool has evolved from a spreadsheet and a, and a code book and a Word document, right? That's where we started defining the data points and deciding what should go in to these catalogs what should go into um, interlibrary loan? How, how, how is interlibrary loan defined? Um, it, it's, it's evolved into a web-based tool um, that every academic law library in the country right now has free access to. It's, it's, not, it's not free. It's being subsidized by Yale and by NELCO. Um, but, and you don't have to be an NELCO member to access it. Um, but every law library director has uh, a unique login uh, and can access the tool. It's been pre-populated with 10 years of ARL data for those people who have been submitting ARL data, as well as close to five years now of ABA data. Um, really? So, yeah, so um, all that data, um, there's also 509 data in there, so you can run some reports comparing um, uh, faculty size, uh, student body size, part-time student body size, full-time student body size, all, all, a lot of the uh, 509 data that we thought would be relevant to run some reports and analyze some data is in there as well, going back about, about five years. Um, so you can uh, you can pull data from all these different reports. Um, you don't have to stick to just one report, uh, just one collection tool. You know, like the ABA when you're when you're running report. You can pull data from ARL, from ABA, or from you know. There's 
literally about uh, 25, the close to 3,000 data points that aren't part of a, of an, of a standard national survey and, and pull all these into a single report. So you can even figure out who your peer institutions are based on faculty size, for example, if, if you don't know who they are. And in, it, it's a great way, um, and, and in fact, I've used it already. Um, I've run a, a couple of dozen reports for institutions around the country um, uh, for colleagues who have had to answer to their deans. Their deans have said, well, we're cutting the budget because all of our peer institutions have cut their budgets over the last five years. So um, I worked with one library to figure out, um, you know, do a trend analysis of, of whether or not those peer institutions really have cut their budgets over the last five years. Um, so, so I've worked with uh, quite a few institutions around the country already running reports, um, it, you know, at use, using mostly the pre-populated ABA, ARL, and U.S. News and World Report data. Um, and, and a few libraries have even been uh, using the tool. It's been up and online for a year now um, to, to do their own data collection. For example, in the fall, I had my colleagues submit our AD, ABA data and our ARL data directly into the tool that I then uh, copied over into the official ABA form. So it's been, it's been that, that's a, <laughs> the, the quickest summary of All-Star that I've ever given. Um, but uh, it's, it's really been helpful in, in enabling me um, to share information with my CFO and my, uh, and, and my incoming dean on some of the trends in my own library as I, as I prepare to educate a new dean on, um, uh, on the library budget, on our flat library budget, um, yeah. as well as in, increasing costs over time and how that's, how that's affecting our collection and how that's affecting our growing faculty and our growing clinics and, uh, and how it's putting pressure on the library resources. Because that's, I think, uh, one primary goal of this tool is to demonstrate the demands on the library and how the demands are changing over time, how the demands are increasing. Um, and, you know, especially if in, in these times of flat budgets, uh, if you're lucky, reduced budgets is the norm, reduced staffing, um, it, it's, it's contrary to the way a lot of law schools are growing uh, to meet the needs of the, of, the, of the evolving ABA standards and the bar standards for states such as California and New York. Wow. Well, this is really interesting. I probably everybody's going to be groaning at me, but um, I can't believe that I wasn't more familiar with this. Um, I can't believe it so, either. Yeah. Well, it's yeah. Well, no. But no. I, how have you? Um, so it's pre-populated. So you've been gathering the publicly available data and just adding it to All-Star. That's correct. So the 509 data you oh. can export into Excel right. spreadsheets or, you know, CSV spreadsheets, and they just get mass uploaded into All-Star. As soon as within a week of the ABA data being released, uh, All-Star was populated with it. Um, and and same with that? the library data, with the way the library data is presented um, in our um, takeoff reports, our custom takeoff reports, um, we can export 
the data in mass into Excel and, and upload it right into right into All Star. In fact, we can do that with with uh, tools like Lib Analytics. So my library uses Lib Analytics to to collect um, reference statistics, and we can download uh, the data from Lib Analytics and upload it uh, into the appropriate questions within All Star. So, um, this is Scott. Yeah. I'm I'm very interested in this, uh, for especially for you know use of of library and time and all that. I'm wondering, you know, since the ABA is not going to be collecting statistics anymore, um, you know, one of the problems, of course, oh. as I said, with the older statistics is, can you believe people's responses? Uh, what do you think should be the future? Should WWL get into offering definitions that, uh, and then the questions? Uh, the answers put into All Star, or where do you think this could take us? Well, um, I'll back up about a year because the Nelco. So, I'll talk about what Nelco's done so far and my attempts to involve AAWL, both past and uh, there are some future uh, communications to be had as well. So, so the Nelco interest groups got involved. Uh, uh, oh gosh, well over a year ago now. Um, and they really embarked on uh, trying to helping to define data points because up to this up to that point, um, the definitions were created by these five libraries that I mentioned who started creating the tool. Um, so there there are a handful of Nelco interest groups such as Interlibrary Loan. There's a, a an IT interest group, a reference interest group, and they took uh, the data points within All Star and they created definitions for all of those data points. Now that has since evolved. Um, last fall, after AAWL annual meeting, where uh, where I did a, a presentation on All Star and we had it out for display at the Nelco table. I created an advisory board. The advisory board has two components. One is publicity and outreach, and the other is content. And that content outreach group, uh, or sorry, that content uh, group from the advisory board has been working furiously going through every single collection within All Star, refining definitions to do just that. Now, what, what, what should the future be? How, how should, how, what can we do to help make the data valid to get some legitimacy, more legitimacy to the tool? Well, um, you know, first, um, you, you might have seen on the director's listserv, Ron Wheeler asked uh, yes. when, when we had a flurry of, of emails um, a month or so ago when, when we learned from Scott that the ABA uh, could be eliminating data. Um, there was some concern about about All Star or a, a an unofficial type tool, uh, the the legitimacy of that. Uh, and Ron Wheeler, um, who's a big fan of All Star through his connection with uh, with Nelco, asked me to uh, make another presentation to AAWL, which I had done um, about a year and a half ago, um, but they they weren't quite interested yet. They thought it would be more appropriate for Alsys. Um, as a you know an SIS um, as opposed to as opposed to uh, um, coming under the main umbrella organization, um, but I'll be speaking with them again on Monday. And you know as as Ron uh, suggested in his email, he wanted to know <laughs> how how AAWL could could get involved. And, and um, I see um, three immediate areas where they could get involved. One, they could endorse the tool. Um, two, they could uh, participate in the development of it. 
They, I've, I've offered to involve them if, if um, in terms of being a project manager. On the, right now, I'm the project manager, and it's a big job, and I have another job um, as well. Yeah. So it would be great to have a project manager from our professional organization uh, who could endorse the product, um, who could endorse the tool. Um, and this, this could further uh, lead to refinements in the questions, identifying questions in the tool that maybe we don't need or questions that we've overlooked that we do need. Um, so, uh, or, or also um, AAAL could um, help subsidize the tool financially. Now, you know, it's still going to be up to the individual libraries to enter accurate data. You know, that's, that's going to be the, the onus uh, is on, uh, on the library. And, you know, that's an ethical and moral <laughs> decision that, that each uh, person will have to make uh, in well, terms of entering accurate well, statistics. Um, but, but the point is not, you know, obviously this tool is not going to be used by um, U.S. News and World Report, this tool is going to be used by us in order to help us make internal assessments uh, and, to, and to learn best practices from each other. So there's just, it's a win-win situation. There's just no reason not to enter a accurate data and not to make this right. a legitimate tool. Well, oh, you this raised the right. issue that, I, the question that I wanted to um, um, ask Scott, where where is the ABA in their thinking? Are are we on um, the verge of eliminating library questions on the AQ? Um, the um, proposed annual questionnaire will be going to. Uh, it has now left the standards review committee. It would be going to the council for approval, um, and from there it would then be the questionnaire that everybody would be seeing next fall. Does it have library questions? Uh, if it is the version that came out of the Standards Review Committee, it will not. Really? We're that close to... Yes. No now, questions? again, this is all dependent on what the um, council does. Um, you know, I cannot speak for them, but um, the version coming out of the Standards Review Committee uh, does not have a Part 3. Well, so, Teresa... If if there are no ABA statistics gathered, and, and I guess this is sort of what you and Scott were just addressing, is that the case that we're um, be relying on you or All Star to start collecting that data? Well, we certainly can. Um, it's ready to go. It's up. It's rolling. People are using it. Um, we've had over 100 libraries log into it and poke around. We've had um, more than two dozen libraries actually request level two access and start en actually start entering data um, and, and, and using the tool for, uh, for, um, to, collect, to collect data in the areas that they want. Um, obviously, right now, it's completely voluntary. It's open. It's, it's free to everyone. Um, year two, there will be some sort of subscription. That's the plan right now. We think it's going to be under $1,000 a year um, for, every li for, for libraries. Um, and, it, you know, as with most things, the more, library, the, the more libraries that sign up, the, the lower the cost. 
Um, but mm. it, it certainly can just step in. It's ready to step in um, and, and be our official data collection tool. In fact, this very product, by count, is, it's accounting opinions product. Uh, the platform is LibPass, and it already is the official data collection tool for ACRL libraries, for the Public um. Libraries of America, um, the Oberlin Group of Academic Libraries, Cornell Libraries uses this for their own internal data collecting. Um, it's obviously a different survey. It's it's tailored for right. academic libraries, um, but it, it's they've already. Uh, they're already in the market as an official data collection tool for, for many organizations. Interesting. Uh, well, so this is Frank. Can I toss something in just very quickly? Yeah. Uh, the comment was made, or the question earlier with regard to accuracy of information and how reliable it could be, uh, to me goes back to this, uh, the, the issue of uh, good definitions that people can follow. I, I, I don't, I am not of the view that um, information in some of the uh, prior in the ABA questionnaire, for example, that's varied quite a bit was a result of uh, very few instances where someone was actually in the library anyway, was actually trying to stretch the truth or uh, trying to just be outright lying about things. I, I think it's just been, uh, either confusion over what was what's being asked, uh, ambiguity in the questions, uh, and the definitions being inadequate. And I know that uh, when I was on the Data Policy Committee, we spent as much time uh, working on the um, instructions and definitions as we did on the questions themselves, trying to anticipate how uh, one institution could read a question as asking for X, another institution could read it as asking for Y, and a third institution could read it and not have the slightest idea what they're asking for. Uh, and so, you know, Teresa's uh, identified how they're currently doing that, and I want to uh, take my hat off to the people that are doing it on a volunteer basis to try to, um, uh, to make this work. Um, but to me, the question would be um, going forward, can you continue to do that uh, to, to get the kind of um, input that will um, respond to, uh, to concerns that people have? The more, when you have five institutions uh, uh, providing the data, um, it's one thing. When you have 100 and Five or 150 or 200 institutions, the um, likelihood that there will be more confusion uh, and therefore um, affecting the accuracy of your data uh, seems to me would increase considerably. So it seems to me that that definitional point is extremely critical. Yeah, I agree with you. And that's why I'm following the ACRL model and I created an advisory board. Uh, and that's why I think it would be really important to have a dedicated project manager, at least at the beginning, uh, while we really um, get get this tool where we want it, right? Where we at least settle on uh, the basic definitions, the the questions that you know, making sure we're a asking the question, the right questions, the right way. 
Uh, and I think with a dedicated project manager uh, and a dedicated advisory board, um, I, I think we're on the right track. Uh, yeah, we've got several dozen libra uh, librarians around the country who have been volunte volunteering many hours of their time over the course of the last couple of years uh, to, 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 bring, to, to bring this tool to fruition, to really make it a reality and make it relevant, um, make these data points um, meaningful, provide, um, and provide definitions so that people can uh, consistently um, uh, enter appropriate data. I, I think that's a great approach. The only um, comment I would make is I think uh, if it's to work uh, long term, you just have to anticipate that that it, it's not something well, We'll get it started. We'll get it going right, and then we'll we can continue just to sail on what we've done. Uh, we all know um, that over time these things change. Uh, the the in, the way this comes in, technology is going to have an impact. What you right. uh, you can't even envision what it'll be five years from now. That the whole issue that was mentioned earlier about um, the, the uh, um, volume count and do we now all of a sudden we've got of the ability to uh, count titles in Westlaw Lexis. Well, that wasn't on anybody's wavelength uh, right. prior to prior to that. So there's something will be coming down the line all the time, which will yep. require um, changes. I mean, it's, it's not going to be static. It will be changing all the time. And that's, that's just the way, that's the nature of the beast. There's nothing wrong with that. But it, you have to anticipate that and be prepared to respond to it. You know, I, I agree completely, which is why I'm advocating for a project manager who is not me. Yeah. <laughs> Someone yeah. who's, 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 uh, who's compensated appropriately and, uh, and not only to help revise the tool, but also um, because this came up during several of my workshops, uh, people have said, well, can, can we have a project manager who can help us use the tool, who can help us run the reports, who can help, you, you know, export the data and run regression analyses for us? Because I don't have someone on staff who can do that. So, so that is, is part of my proposal, that this project manager not only oversees the development of the tool, but also is available uh, to help libraries at times uh, use the tool. Now, Counting Opinions will provide uh, some of that support as well, um, and they have. They have uh, done a whole bunch of tutorials which are available um, and accessible from, uh, from the tool and from the Nelco All-Star site. Um, but, but having a project manager over the long term Right, someone who, um, which is, which would be a great reason, um, a, a great benefit to having AA, LL involved, um, or and I've talked about this with with our Nelco crew as well, um, is is having a dedicated project manager um, for this for All Star. Can I? Okay. I have a Let me um, sort of. Um, I want. We're we've only got ten minutes left. I can't believe how fast. Uh, time is is um, racing through, but I wanted to, uh, before we um, end our time here together, raise a couple of um, issues that we haven't addressed yet. Um, I wanted to also hear from uh, Darren and and get your reaction. You you I think may be the expert among us as to how all these statistics 
factor into the U.S. news um, uh, rankings. And so I'd like to get your reaction on that. But before we do that, I, I'd like to to just sort of pause and and say um, my sort of observation has been that the the center of gravity or the center of attention for examining or um, libraries for accreditation or you know funding uh, purposes seems to be shifting away from objective standards. Um, we're less concerned, um, or our parent institutions or administrators less concerned with how big we are compared to everybody else, or how big our space is, and they're more concerned with. Um, and this is why I mentioned assessments um, earlier, more with the services that we we can provide right. to our patrons. So, um, you know, that seems to raise the question of, I mean, is it even worth it to go through all the trouble to gather all these statistics in this way if, are, if they're not useful anymore? Um, if we're trying to look the other direction, looking at service as opposed to collection. Well, one thing I can say about All Star is that um, we do, uh, this isn't just about books and, and, and um, uh, books and computers and chairs and people. It's also about services. So there okay. are collections on outreach, things like orientations and, 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 and such, and workshops oh. and even fun events, and, and, and there's an attempt to capture how much time is spent on these activities. And in the original, in the original uh, spreadsheet, we had a column for satisfaction rate as well. Really? Um, the satisfaction rate didn't make it over to the current web-based tool um, because it just doesn't fit within the parameters that we have on but the tool. But how do you measure that? Well, the same way people like Amazon do. They send you, you use their product, and you get a little oh. survey. Is that right? Um, and that is a tool that Counting Opinions provides. It's called Libstat, uh, and that is a tool that we could, uh, in development, um, incorporate into All Star, a satisfaction rate type tool. That's fascinating. Well, so Darren, what do you make of all this? Well, just to build on what Teresa um, just said, we do, and I'm guessing a lot of libraries do this, um, we do a school-wide annual student and faculty satisfaction survey, which covers all of the administrative units within the law school, and the library has a big chunk of it, and IT has, has a big chunk of it. And so we, we want to know um, in some detail um, what the students and the faculty, um, what their experience has been over the past year. And also gives everyone a chance to provide feedback on ways that you can improve what you do for them. So that, that kind of information, I'm guessing a bunch of schools might have that kind of thing that you could put into All-Star and if you were trying to track student satisfaction. But um, I guess overall, I'd be curious to know, you know what Scott and, and Frank think. I, I like the fact that, the, um, that especially the self-study has gotten, there's more focus now on the narrative part of the self-study, certainly there are things that we all do. We we count reference, you know, statistics here and, and circ stats and 
and uh, ebook usage and lots of other um, lots of other uh, things like that. But um, it seems like there's a lot of variation going on um, in law schools right now, and lots of the speakers have touched on this. We've got three online-only uh, master's programs, not LLM, but MLS programs. Um, so we're you know, busy thinking about how to support those folks. We're doing our whole technology training um, piece. Um, we're very involved. One big aspect of what we do is that flows out of just the library's current awareness function for the entire school it is this um, data analysis um, for the school. Um, so the library here looks at everything from admissions to placement to um, everything that's covered in the ABA, everything that's covered in U.S. News, everything that's covered in Princeton Review, uh, Peterson's, and the other surveys that all occur. And the library really is the one that's doing a lot of the analysis and providing that to um, our administration, not to necessarily guide decisions we make, but just to inform um, uh, what happens, what's the, what's the outcome of the decisions we're making. So I think that's a really... Uh, interesting um, new area that libraries can grow into. And so, yeah. and, that, and so, you know, having a more narrative focus on the um, self-study since, as you know, since you came and visited us two years ago, um, mm -hmm. with the brand new format, we were the Rich uh, gets a special award because he was on the first year site visit teams that uh, f from the major change in the way the self-study questionnaire was conducted. <laughs> but, yeah. um, since all since there's so much uh, experimentation going on in libraries, it's great because you can the emphasis is more on telling your story about how you're supporting the mission of your individual school. And um, yeah, yeah, I'll stop right there. It, Darren, this is Frank. I I think you've raised a great point, and I think that you nailed it as to what the ABA. Uh, is looking for they're not looking for cookie cutter law schools that every law school does exactly the same thing and looks exactly alike and so forth they're looking for schools to establish a mission um, uh, that fits within the standards uh, but beyond that uh, that that in the self study that you have an opportunity to, to explain that mission and explain the things that you're doing which uh, help are helping you achieve that mission. Um, and I think that's extremely important. So I'm frankly all for that. Um, yeah. um, this and is, I think that's this the approach cool. the ABA is taking. Yeah. This is Scott. Um, I certainly agree with both of the previous speakers. That is what we tried to do when we had the last comprehensive re, uh, revision of the standards was to pull the library more into the school. So it's not just how many volumes do you have or how much do you spend, but how do you – help meet the outcomes desired by the school. Um, and as Darren says, many of us are doing things outside of our four walls, and this gives us opportunity. The other thing is that the annual questionnaire is still undergoing some revision. I just did a site visit, and, you know, it, again, throughout the questionnaire, you keep repeating information from question to question. Mm. And I know that's bothering headquarters, and I know they are going to work some on making it so that you don't have to repeat information all the time. Mm. Yeah. Fascinating. Well, this is really an interesting conversation. We didn't even get to um, one of the the um, items that I wanted to discuss, which was 
um, as the amount of data that's being collected and uh, used in these surveys, you know, gets smaller changes, what does it say about or is it a reflection on the value or the usefulness or the uh, that libraries are held in? It seems that if we stop, you know, measuring us, um, then they don't care about us. Right? That's one way to take it. But I don't think that's true. I think that they're focusing more on and, and more interested in service and support of the mission. Yeah. I think they have a, a more a chance to um, care about you more when what you're telling them is not some dry numbers that really don't yeah. mean anything to them, mm-hmm. but you're describing like the kinds of programs that Darren just briefly described. When you're talking about those programs and how they fit into the larger picture, a picture that that most others are going to be much more familiar with, um, to me that's, um, that gives you the opportunity to really stand out and to become, in fact, much more important uh, rather than less important. Okay, a, well, I, I agree with that, but, you know, I have fielded a handful of questions just in the last couple of months about budgets and budget cutting, and we've used All-Star to help colleagues around the country defend their budgets to their deans. Um, it's a, so services are great and, and, and valuable, and that's what we are, but if we can't, if we can't use some data and some statistics to, yeah. to, 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 to justify our budget, um, then, you know, it's, that's, that's where the real struggle is. Hey, Rich, can I just well, I think the data uh, one final help. comment yeah. on, with, uh, following up on Teresa? I, okay. I think it's both. You need to be able to tell your story and use data in a, in a smart way um, right. where you actually know what the data means and you're not just presenting a chart without context and, you know, which doesn't compare apples and apples. That's the struggle. Right. All right. Yeah. Um, well we have 10 seconds left on air, <laughs> less than that. So I, with this, we're going to say goodbye and also promise everybody that we'll continue this conversation. Clearly there's more to say. So thank you very much. Um, thank you. Now thanks, Rich. Thanks, Rich. Thank you. Thanks, Rich. Our off-air adios, adios. listeners will be able to hear this part, so don't say anything embarrassing. But there were so many questions that I forgot to, and things that I wanted to say. I wanted to congratulate um, uh, Frank on his uh, – baseball book and um, find out about any other accomplishments that any of us have had. I know everybody's doing a lot of cool stuff. Um, We just ran out of time. So I hope you all um, um, enjoyed the conversation. I certainly did. I can't believe how fast. uh, Are we still on or are we on? It stopped recording, but we can still chat with each other until I think that hangs up. Yeah. Yeah. Well, so, thanks for putting it together, Rich. It was how, fun. How yeah, about, that was awesome. Why don't we, um, um, you know, just sort of agree maybe in a month or so, um, get people back together. I'd really like to discuss more about um, or continue, follow it up with a discussion about um, well, what we just sort of ended with was about the assessment and um, – you know, service standards and how 
you know, and Teresa, how you might collect that information. I'm really uh, curious about that. Yeah, so, that sounds great. Yeah. I'd love to be part of the continuing conversation. Yeah, well, and I wonder, I put this in the chat room, but I wonder if there's a role for or kind of a, a sort of strategy for doing something to analyze this data or sort of help people make meaning out of it. I know that um, you've said that the counting opinions folks, you know, we can work with them and there's ideas about kind of consulting piece, but I wonder if there's any sort of bigger picture story to the whatever depth of content is there that would be uh, relevant to publish. You know, thinking mm-hmm. that we've in the past had published stats in in a, or in the law library journal. Is there some scholarship or analysis that would help kind of help us find meaning in these things? Or is it better to just do it for sort of strategic, help me make a decision or justification or explanation of my situation? Well, or maybe both. That's really yeah. That's Teresa, this is Darren. I mean, there there are certain statistics that are closer to apples and apples, um, and I'm sure you – I'd be really curious to know what the most common run uh, reports are out of All-Star, but I'm thinking of things like, you know, and I have to apologize to all of you. I hope I wasn't too cynical about my discussion of volume and title counts and lack of no. definitions in U.S. news, but – um, so w- one of the stats, like, um, you if you're looking at budget, yeah, yeah, the sort of uh, budget figure, um, every every way you can slice and dice the budget over, you know, FTE or over faculty FTE, um, where you can kind of reduce things down to a more meaningful number. Right. Yeah. So a lot of the requests that I've gotten. Um, combine the data points um, of faculty FTE, student FTE, um, and and the library materials budget. Uh, Another one I've gotten is just materials budget per student, right? Um, We used to do that, didn't we, in the ABA in the past? We used to have that. Yeah, Yeah, but again, it had the potential (laughs) of being so inaccurate. Is that right? uh, Or misleading. Hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, it depends it on how you define your acquisition Library spending into, <laughs> into law school uh, educational spending on students. Yeah. So, Scott, okay. you sounded um, interested in a, like you, you would, weren't that familiar with All-Star. Had you heard right. of it before? Oh, I've I've heard of it. Um, I just haven't had time to work with it. Right. Okay. So uh, I I'm think very we're, in same, we're in the same boat, so I shouldn't feel too embarrassed. <laughs> no, don't feel embarrassed. <laughs> no. Look, no, only a li- only half I, of the libraries have even signed on once. So yeah. there's half there's the a, libraries haven't looked at it. Yeah. There's right. a program at double double L. That's right. Yeah. There's a workshop yeah. coming up at double double L, a pre-conference workshop. Um, on Saturday, um, and it's, you know, I'll be there, obviously. Counting Opinions will send a representative. Um, Bob Dugan is going to run the hands-on workshop. He is uh, the author of several data books. He is the chair of the advisory board for ACRL. He's been, um, he's been real helpful in my development of the advisory board. He, did, he ran the workshops at the NELCO Symposium a couple months ago, and the feedback was just tremendous. He's really good. He knows this tool. He's been 
you know, he's been given access and knows our tool now too. So he's he's been just really, really terrific. So he'll be doing hands-on work with people, you know, using the pre-populated data that's already in there just as, you know, just yeah. to teach people how to use the tool. Okay. Well, you know, why don't we let, – let's uh, – wrap it up now and um, um, say to be continued. Okay? Or I'll, I'll end the episode just so that the um, uh, people who are listening via podcast won't um, um, won't linger on and on and on. Okay? Sounds good. All right. Well, thank Excellent. you. Excellent. All right. Have a great weekend, everybody. Thank Thanks, you. everybody. Thank you. Uh, cheers. See you. Bye. Cheers.